Amen. Thank you, Brother Dan. Notice the title of our lesson this morning, Reasons to Rejoice. Do we need reasons to rejoice sometimes? Absolutely, all the time. We need to find reasons. So today we're going to look at that from God's Word. Our family theme is Rejoicing in Christ. Uh, by the way, I did forget to mention uh, in our prayer time, uh, Brother Mike Grove texted me this morning. He's having some issues. And I forgot to mention, Jeremy went down there yesterday. Uh, we were down there, but he wasn't much help. He got sick down there yesterday. And so his whole family was having stomach issues this weekend. Uh, so pray for them as well and pray for Brother Mike. But anyway, our objective this morning is that we would find joy, peace, and contentment. Notice how we do it now. By walking in close relation with Christ. Now, folks, I, I think by now, at least I would hope by now, we would all understand. If we are going to have joy in our life, if we're going to have reasons to rejoice, it has to be because we are walking in close relation with Jesus Christ. So my question would be, in thinking about that, what kind of joy does the world offer us? Say it again, Wayne. None. None at all. In fact, if we look at the world, we can get depressed. Isn't that true? So we can't find it. We've got to find it in Christ. We'll be in Philippians chapter 4 this morning. We'll begin in verse 4 down through verse 20. We've got two key truths. That as believers, we rejoice and pray instead of worry. I need that advice. How about you? Rejoice and pray instead of worry. The second key truth is that we learn to be content in all circumstances. Content in all circumstances. Under our Bible basic, we're challenged to memorize uh, John 8, 12, where Jesus said that he was the light of the world, and those that follow him should not walk in darkness, but have the light of life in him. Jesus Christ is the light of life. We need to walk in that light. So how does this story fit in the, in the overall frame of the Bible? About A.D. 62, when Paul wrote it, we mentioned already a week or so ago, he was under a house arrest in Rome. And now he's teaching those who read this letter, teaching them at that time and us today that we need to pray instead of worry. Now, let me interject something here. For some reason in my life, in my own personal experience, I think sometimes I'd rather worry than pray. But Paul said, don't do that. Pray instead of worry. But also... Learn to be content in all circumstances. In fact, Paul wrote to Timothy, he said, contentment with godliness is great gain. And it really, really is. Let's do or get started this morning. Uh, we're talking about contentment right now, thinking about that at least. Uh, why do you think many people are not content? Why do you think many people are not content? More of what? Yeah, more of everything. That's one reason. Somebody else? Looking for something to satisfy. What's wrong with that, Cheryl? Yeah. Now, I like your answer, both of you, by the way, and there's probably more we could say. Dan said you, they want more, right? But what happens when they get a little more? They want more and more, right? Cheryl, they look at something that doesn't satisfy, they look again. Yeah, yeah. 
And so it's a continual process. And, you know, I, I confess, I rarely come up with any good ideas by myself, good thoughts. Once in a while I do. But I never forget some years ago, uh, I was witness, witnessing to my dad, witnessing to him. And uh, I said, Dad, you will never be content with what you get until you're content with what you have. I, now, I had to repent because I was pretty proud of myself for coming up with that thought. And it made, maybe somebody else had it too, but I, I had never heard it that way. But there's a lot of truth to that. We've got to learn to be content with what we have. And whether it's more of more, uh, you know, the guy that gets a million dollars, you know what he wants? Yeah, the second million, uh, you know. And But to me, the biggest problem, people are looking for contentment in the wrong places. We'll never, ever find it in this world if we don't walk with Jesus Christ, true contentment. Uh, most of us here have, well, we've got some seniority in life. Let's put it that way, okay? And has there ever been a time, and this is kind of a rhetorical question, I guess, in your life you thought, boy, if I just had this, I'd be set. If I just made this much money, and most of us, We've, a, we've actually been blessed more than we've ever deserved. And we've probably got more than we ever thought we'd have, and yet sometimes we're not content. So contentment, godliness with contentment, certainly is great gain. So the next question in our Get Started, what role, what part do our circumstances play and whether or not we are content. What part do they play? Absolutely, yeah, when they're going bad. Yeah. Your first go out this week, Cheryl? Oh, not this week, okay. It will now, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Now, but here's the thing, folks. And, you know, we're, we're born again, sure, but we're still human. But as Christians, we need to realize no matter what our circumstances are, and they can be bad circumstances, we should still have contentment in Christ. And that's not easy to do. I know that because I'm human too. So, again, circumstances do play a role. We at least we let it play a role in whether or not we are content. Well, most of you know where we're going with that today because we're in the book of Philippians and we're going to find out that the Apostle Paul and look, try to learn how he learned to be content no matter what his circumstances are. I think I shared a little bit of this a week or so ago. Uh, Brother David Phillips is losing his eyesight with macular de- degeneration and uh, he's told me several times and I called him about a week ago and he said, Brother Rollin, I'm really working hard on being content with my situation. And I admire him for that. You know, he's not going to throw his hands up and quit. He's I'm working hard to be content where God has me. Well, this morning we'll be in chapter 4, we mentioned earlier. And uh, the Apostle Paul, Epaphroditus, and many of the believers there at the church at Philippi were experiencing troubles and challenges. But the good news is, in spite of these challenges, 
they could know contentment and joy because they had a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now remember, folks, the bottom line is if we have Jesus Christ as our Savior, since we have him as our Savior, is that enough? Yes. And we need to understand that he's all that we need. Let's go to chapter 4. We'll begin in verse 4 through 9. And our first key truth is rejoice and pray instead of worry. Will somebody read that, please? Verses 4 through 9. All right, thank you, Nan. Now, uh, by the way, in the first part of the chapter, uh, Paul uh, challenges a couple of women uh, to settle their differences. And beginning in verse 4, he gives us four commands uh, that we need to do uh, to walk with God and have a right relationship. Now, it's interesting. Uh, let me ask you again. I hope you haven't forgotten already. Where was Paul at when he wrote this letter? In prison. Great circumstances, right? What way? I wouldn't think so either. And I don't think Paul wanted to be there. Not necessarily. But where was he? He's in prison. Now, if you remember last week, uh, Paul began chapter 3. He said, it's, it's not grievous, it's not a burden for you to tell you this again, but I say rejoice. Now, Dan, thanks for reading this. Rejoice always, Lord, again, I say rejoice. Does Paul sound discouraged to you? No. His first command is we're to rejoice in the Lord when? Always. What's that mean? That's what it says. I mean, Paul is writing from prison. And he's encouraging the believers at Philippi. And by the way, they were having trouble too. And we'll find out later on, Epaphroditus was from their congregation. Uh, they had sent him to Paul with an offering. And I'm not sure whether he wasn't feeling well when he left or whether reason he was sick and during that time period, almost died. And so they were going through some troubles. Now, by the way, uh, I was praying the other night for somebody, I don't remember who it was, about God to bring healing into their life. It was a physical prayer. And I, I, again, it's been uh, early in the week. And I was praying, I thought, Lord, is it biblical to really pray? For healing? Is it, you know, uh, we know you're in charge of everything. You, we know, Lord, that you know a thing ahead of time. We know that you could prevent this illness or this, this tragedy, whatever it was. But then it dawned on me, wait a minute, Paul prayed for Epaphroditus. 
You know, so I, it, it is biblical to pray. But I think we need to pray, Lord, that your will be done. But there's nothing wrong with that. But in this context, we know things were not good, not necessarily good are the circumstances for each one of them, whether the congregation, Epaphroditus or Apostle Paul, they were not the best circumstances. So Paul commands them, I'm telling you right now, the best thing to do is go around with your chin dragging the ground, moaning, woe is me, or why me. Is that what Paul tells them? No, what does he say to do? Rejoice. And again I say, rejoice. And then he says in verse 5, to let your moderation be known unto all men. So the first thing Paul said, you know, why as Christians, we need to live with an attitude of joy. Folks, I've got to tell you, and I, and I want God to remind me every day, this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. And sure, we have circumstances that are not good. And sometimes that can be overwhelming. But don't allow our circumstances to rob us of the joy of walking with the Lord uh, Jesus Christ. Because the, the, the joy of the Lord, or the joy the Lord provides, will give us strength even when we face a world that is not always easy to live in. Now, again, we're looking here, Paul said rejoice always, and again I say rejoice. Fifteen different times uh, Paul uses the word joy or rejoice in this four-chapter letter. Now, I know he didn't write chapters when he wrote it. Fifteen different times. What does that tell you about Paul? Amen. Why? Because he rejoiced. Sure, he was his circumstance weren't the best. It's interesting. Uh, I, our uh, study guide helped us with this, but there's a noun joy and the verb rejoice. Sometimes the word glad is the same Greek word. Uh, but Paul, in, in uh, chapter uh, one, verses four and five, he prayed for uh, he prayed for them with joy. In chapter 1, verse 18, he rejoiced uh, with them. Uh, even uh, he, he rejoiced when Christ was preached, even though there were some who did it for the wrong motive. He still rejoiced. In verses uh, 18 and 19 of chapter 1, uh, he rejoiced that his current hardship would turn out for his deliverance. So he rejoiced in that through the prayers of the believers. In chapter 1, verse 25, uh, Paul was convinced that the continuation of his ministry to the church at Philippi would continue to their progress and joy. You know, Paul says, I've got joy in my heart. I want you to have that same joy. In chapter 1, verse 25, Paul says, I'm convinced that it's going to happen that way. And he also said in chapter 2, whenever believers are unified, I have joy. In chapter 6, uh, I'm sorry, chapter 2, verse 17, Paul said that he would be glad, that's another Greek word for joy, uh, same Greek word for joy, in fact, if you will, uh, that without a doubt, uh, the sacrifice he made for their faith was not going to be a vain sacrifice. And Paul said, I'm glad, I rejoice in that fact. He also said in verse 17, he'd rejoice, if you will, uh, with the believers, in the sacrifice of their faith, Paul said it's going to work out. 
Uh, also in verse 18, uh, Paul encouraged the believers at Philippi to be glad. Again, the same word for joy uh, in the Greek, uh, that his life was being poured out for them. Fifteen different times Paul writes about joy in this little letter. Now again, I don't think Paul was down, down to you. He wasn't discouraged. Yes, were his circumstances the best? No, not at all. So 15 different times. So the next command, Paul says, let your moderation uh, be known. In other words, let people know that you are gracious in your actions. Let them know that you are reasonable toward others. And, and the idea here is uh, that you have the kind of attitude, the kind of spirit that doesn't retaliate, but puts up with one another. How many need somebody to put up with you sometimes? Well, I know I do, right? And that's what, let your moderation be known to all men. And so as a Christian, people ought to know us. They ought to see in us that we have a reasonable spirit. And in our mindset, uh, we are careful about how we respond to other people, uh, not to be harsh toward them, because we realize it won't be long till Jesus Christ comes to take us home. So Paul said, let your moderation be known unto all men. But here's the one I think a lot of us struggle with. Paul challenges us. In fact, he really commands us not to worry. Anybody here ever worry? Anybody? Every day. Paul says, don't, wor- don't let worry fill your heart. Don't let worry fill your mind. So how do we do that? How do we overcome that? What's Paul tell us to do? Okay, we can get what you have, but when that worry comes... Aha, need to pray. Now, I know you all have never done it before, but there's some nights I've laid awake fretting over something, worrying about something. And uh, I, I, I must confess, if there's a degree in worrying, I've got one. Probably a master's degree in worrying. But all the years I've worried, whatever it might have been, Guess how many things my worry changed. You don't know me, Wayne. Oh, <laughs> doesn't change anything, does it? Worry absolutely changes nothing. So Paul and Jordan, you're right. Paul said we need to pray. Instead of worrying, we need to pray. And we need to be thankful to Christ. Now, by the way, the Bible never, ever gives a call to living a carefree life with no concerns for the issues of life. But Paul says the bottom line is this. Hold it. Let me ask a question. How many here today have circumstances? We all do, don't we? So Paul is telling us, yes, sure you have circumstances, 
Sure, we have concerns. Sure, we have issues. And Paul says, stop allowing those things to overwhelm your life. And don't allow the stress of them to overwhelm your life. So, Jordan, I like your answer. Look what this biblical, what Paul says here. The cure for this, this type of worry, is prayer. And you do it with an attitude of thanksgiving. And you do it with an attitude, you know what? I don't like my circumstances. They're overwhelming. I simply am going to trust God. I am going to trust God. Now, by the way, uh, notice, if you will, in that verse we just read, uh, Paul talked about praying all things with thanksgiving supplication to God. And he said the peace of God will keep our hearts and minds. And the word there is literally garrison. It will guard your heart in your mind. To the peace of God. Is there a difference between peace with God and peace, the peace of God? And if there is, what is the difference? Peace with God or peace of God. Anybody got a thought on that? Okay. What do you do for us, Jordan? Exactly. So the day you got saved, before you were saved, you were an enemy of God. The day you're saved, you made peace with God. That's the peace with God. So I submit to you, the peace of God is different. Now, first of all, you'll never have the peace of God until you're at peace with God. But the peace of God is a peace that settles over us, even in some of the in the midst of some of the most difficult circumstances in life. It's knowing, you know what, Lord, I don't have this, but I know you do. Lord, I I, I don't know about tomorrow. Lord, I do know the one who holds tomorrow. And Lord, I don't know what I'm going to do, and I'm not sure what you're going to do, but I know you've got my best interest at heart. And that, my friend, is a peace of God. Now, by the way, peace with God is an automatic result of being born again. You're no longer enemies. The peace of God is not automatic. Would you agree with that? Because it's something we need to address every day of our lives. And Paul said, if we'll not worry, but if we'll approach God in prayer with an attitude of thanksgiving for what he's done, he said, the peace of God, the peace of God will guard your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. And folks, I've got to tell you, for me, that's one of the greatest needs of my life. I need the peace of God to garrison my heart and my mind. And folks, God wants to provide that. But I've got to come rather than worry. I've got to pray. I need to come with an attitude of thankfulness and 
what God has done, what God is going to do, and what God can do. Any thought about that before we move on from that thought? But we're to pray rather than worry. And then we come to that word, finally. How many know we're not going to be finally yet? Now remember what I told you last week, a lot of times uh, that particular Greek word is a, it's a word of transition, and it can be translated also furthermore. So Paul says, okay, if you want the peace of God to guard your heart, you've got to pray. You've got to come to God with an attitude of thanksgiving and trust. And if you want that peace of God to rule in your heart, there's some things furthermore that you need to do. And that's the idea of the word finally. So we need to pray, come to God with a thankful attitude, and we need to think on some things that will help us not worry. So he gives us a list of things to focus on. Now, not that we're going to try to do each one of them here, but what kind of things basically is Paul telling us to think about? What kind of things are they? Okay. Yeah. Would you say these are good things to think on? Sure they are. They're pleasant things to think on. Now, folks, I've got, I, I, I got to tell you and remind us today that the world gives us a lot of bad things to think on, a lot of negative things to think on. But Paul said, look, I want your mind to be filled with good thoughts. I want your mind to be filled with wholesome thoughts. And he gives a, a list of things here, things that are true, for example. Now, by the way, is there truth in our world? I mean, is there truth? Yes. People want, don't want to admit that, but there is. And Paul said, focus on those things that are true. Don't focus, focus on things that are not honest. Uh, don't focus on things that are not reliable, but focus on the things that are honest and are true. He goes on to say, uh, we have to focus on things that are, are right. Focus on those things in our life. Uh, focus on, on pure things. And we know what pure means. Uh, things that's morally pure. Things that are lovely. Uh, didn't promote uh, anxiety or antagonism. Uh, but it, it promotes positive things in people's life. Things that are lovely. And he goes on and gives us a couple more there. And uh, again, things that are positive. And the last two things he talks about, uh, the, the uh, kind of, in a nutshell, summarizes the previous ones he's listed. And Paul said, things that are excellent. And it's kind of interesting, Peter, uh, in his epistle, uh, in the second one he wrote, he talked about uh, if we want to uh, keep from falling, there are things that we add to our lives. And one of the things that Peter mentioned in chapter 1, verse 5 of Second Peter, that we need to add to our faith virtue and to virtue knowledge. So the word praiseworthy that Paul used would speak about things that would deserve men's praise. Now I want to go back to our text again real quick. And let's go back to verse 6. 
And I want to read it to you again in verse 7. Paul says, be careful for nothing. I mean, don't be anxious. Don't worry. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Then verse 7, he said, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now, one thing I want to remind you, and Paul says it very clearly here, the peace that God, the peace of God. How do you explain it? According to what Paul says, you can't. It's past understanding. So he says, "Don't worry. Pray with thanksgiving, and bring." Your prayers to God. And the peace of God, which you can't explain, you can't understand it, will guard your heart. But notice now in verse 9. He's already said in verse 8, think on these things. Then he says, those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. So would you agree Paul had been an example for them? Sure he has. But also notice this. If you will think on these things, Paul says, the things you've learned, you've heard, the things you've seen me do in front of you, Paul says if you do that, he says the God of peace will be with you. So I I couldn't help it when I was reading through this again this morning in my notes. And I, I underlined, I highlighted, first of all, the peace of God and the God of peace. And how many know the only reason that God is able to give us the peace of God is because He is the God of peace. He is the God of peace. So Paul says... Don't worry, pray, give thanksgiving, think on these things, model my behavior that I live before you, and Paul says the God of peace is going to be with you. How many want the God of peace with us? I do. Amen. So we've got peace with God when you're saved. We can have the peace of God as we walk daily with Christ, and we know that the God of peace is with us Every day we live in this world. Folks, I want to tell you, the day we got saved is the best thing ever happened to us. All of this is ours because of what God did through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's go ahead and apply it this morning. Thank you, Lord, for being the God of peace. We need to find peace instead of anxiety by taking our requests to God with joy and thanksgiving. Okay, you may have you may struggle with this question, uh, not knowing what to answer here. But what are some of the things that cause anxiety in the culture we live in? What are some of the things that cause anxiety? What? How many know that's one of the that's probably the number one reason for divorces, financial reasons. Why is money a problem, Dan? 
Okay, we always want more. And the truth of the matter is, if we're honest, we probably have enough. We just spend too much. Isn't that true? My grandfather told me years ago, he, he said that, you know, he said, I learned a long time ago. It wasn't the high cost of living that, pe- that gets people. It's the cost of living high. A lot of truth to that. And so certainly, without a doubt, financial problems. And we have health issues. There's something that we worry about sometimes. So my next question is, you know, Paul said we need to, instead of worry, we need to pray and trust God. Well, how in the world can trusting God help us with our anxiety? <laughs> Amen. Now, Dan, I don't know about you. That's hard for me to do. You know, we, we, you know, and wherever you are, you can make an altar prayer, right? And you bring it late before the Lord. But my problem is a lot of times as I walk away, I reach around and pick it back up again. But we, and, and also, folks, we know this to be true, don't we? If we can't take care of it, well, hold it back up. If God can't take care of it, who can? Nobody can. That's right. Amen. It can't be taken care of. So we simply need to trust God. Now, one of the things Paul did tell them, we just read a moment ago, he's basically saying, live the kind of life I modeled before you, the way I lived before you. How, how does focusing on godly examples uh, and focus on good, how does that help us to have peace? How does that help us to have peace? There's just so many things we can learn from that, okay? Now, the problem in my life sometimes, if I'm not careful, I will allow myself to focus on the negative things. But how many, how many are honest to admit, you know, God has been good to us. We've got so much to be thankful for. If we think on those things, it's going to change our mindset. It's going to bring bring a peace of God that nothing else can bring in our lives. So our first key key truth, Paul says rejoice and pray instead of worry. Second key truth, we need to learn, I like that word learn, to be content in all circumstances. Somebody read verse 10 through 20, please.
Jordan, thank you. Thank you so much for reading that. Now, I can't help. I love the Apostle Paul. I love his graciousness. And I know a lot of folks would think he's kind of gruff and, and straight to the point, and he could be when he needed to be. But would you agree he had a heart for people? What a, what a wonderful example he was. And after encouraging them to rejoice, always, encourage them to pray rather than worry, encourage them to think on things that are beneficial to them, encouraging them to mimic his lifestyle, in verse 10, Paul says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly. And rejoicing because they were able to send him a gift to help him during this difficult time in his life. Now, he's being sincere here, folks. Don't miss the passion. Paul says, it's, it's not that I, that's what I live for. It's not that that's the greatest desire I have. Because Paul says, I have learned. Now, would you agree learning is a process? Sure it is. So it wasn't automatic to Paul. He said, I've learned how to, to be abased, and I know how to abound. I've been taught how to be full and to be hungry. I know how to abound, and I know how to suffer need. Now think about that. I know how to do that. So Paul said, whether I am abounding, I'm content. But what about when he wasn't abounding? I'm still content. No matter what my circumstances, I am content. Now, by the way, Paul's very careful with his wording here. Of course, the Spirit of God is guiding him. I know that, breathing the words out. But Paul wants them to understand he's not ungrateful. He's appreciative of their gift. He desperately needed that. But Paul also wanted them, also wanted them to know that it didn't matter what he was going in his life. He was still going to be content. Now, remember, he'd earlier, a few verses ago, admonished him to, to imitate him. And so I think one of the points Paul is making, if I can be content no matter where, I, where situation I, I am, what's he saying to them? You be content. Follow my example. And then, probably one of the most misused verses, Paul says in verse 13, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. I don't remember Wednesday night, Sunday morning, I mentioned it one time. When you study in God's Word, there's only one primary application. One. And this verse, Paul is applying that to his situation. I can handle having too much. I can handle having just enough. I can ha handle not having enough. Why? Because it's the strength of Christ that helps me through every area of my life. 
So in verse 14, to make sure they don't think he's un, that he's not grateful because he was, Paul said, yeah, I'm content, but you've sure done well. You have done well that you gave to my affliction. You offered me something that I did need. And he said, you know, when I first began in this area, the only, you're the only church who reached out to help me in my ministry. In fact, when I left Macedonia, no one else did. No one else did. And Paul said, even when I went to Thessalonica, not only did you send me help, financial help once, you sent it twice. And so Paul said, I want you to know I'm grateful for that. I so much appreciate. But again, he said, understand the basis of my appreciation. It's not just because I needed it, not because I desire a gift. But Paul said, my whole desire is that I can be an instrument in helping fruit abound in your life. Folks, Paul had a heart for the people. He wanted to grow in the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul says, now in light of your gift, and I appreciate that, Paul says, I have what I need, and I abound. In fact, as I am full, Epaphroditus had brought what you sent. And Paul said it was a sacrifice, a sweet-smelling odor before God. I have to ask myself sometimes, when's the last time I saw my offering that way? My tithe that way? It's a sweet-smelling aroma to God. Well-pleasing to God. And then Paul ends there in verse 19. He said, my God, because you have been generous giving to God's work, my God will supply all of your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. What a heart. And I want to tell you something, folks. Only God can give a man or a woman that kind of heart for God's work. Let's stand together. Father, we thank you today, Father, for your goodness and for your mercy. We thank you for the example of the Apostle Paul. And Lord, help us to learn to be content no matter what our circumstances is. Father, help us to pray rather than worry and help us to think on good things. In the precious name of Christ, I pray. Amen.